0: Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good to be with you guys this morning. Hey, we're in the book of Jonah, we've got things ready. Hey, I just want to let you know we have a special day today because I want to invite you to stay for lunch because we have some of our Filipino community making lunch today. For so those who like Filipino food, stay, grab some lunch this afternoon with us. And hey, you saw Carmela with the boxing ministry, right? Hey, I want to encourage you to come out if you want to kind of throw down—not on the streets, but we'll, we'll do constructive fighting back here in the back at the gym. And so, I invite you to come on out and be a part of. Of that But I also want to encourage you this morning that Carmelo is going to be giving the message tonight at our Sunday night service. So I want to encourage you to come out and hear him as he gives a word tonight. I'm sure he'll give his story and all that's going on with that. God is moving. God is doing um, some things. And uh, guys, the Hope Toy Drive is just around the corner. Our biggest Christmas outreach, so we want to get you guys ready for that. As, uh, we're going to get to invite a lot of people from the community and all around San Diego to be blessed with gifts, but ultimately the greatest gift, which is Jesus during the Christmas season. So we want to get things ready. So if you want to volunteer for that, go to the uh, uh, center over here, the Welcome Center, and sign up. We can sure use everybody's help when we come down at the end of December. We're in the book of Jonah, so open it up. It's a little minor prophet in the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to, to jump there. We're going to be in chapter uh, 2, really at the end of chapter 1, going into chapter 2 and looking at all that this morning. The FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitive List has been in existence since March 14, 1950. A reporter for the Internal National News Service asked the borough for the names and descriptions of the toughest guys that the Brewer would like to capture. The resulting story generated so much publicity and had so much appeal that the late FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, implemented the 10 most wanted fugitives program. The first person to be placed on the list was Thomas James Holden, wanted for the murder of his wife, her brother, and stepbrother. And since the inception, 526 fugitives have been on the 10 most wanted fugitive list, and 490 have been apprehended or located. When Jonah fled from God, he became a fugitive or a lamb on the run, I would have to say. Or maybe he's caught in a whale. And he made, most, he made the 10 most wanted lists. Pursued by the Lord, he finds himself incarcerated for his actions in the belly of a whale. and by his, But his three-day retreat, or maybe it's his holding cell, leads to his repentance. Like Jonah, our sins have placed all of God's most wanted lists All of us on his most wanted list. Eventually we will have to face his judgment. Many will run until the final judgment. But God longs for us all to be confronted with our own sinfulness and exercise the good judgment. To simply admit our guilt, turn ourselves into into his most merciful hands. Um, This morning as we're jumping in and continue on with the study through the book of Jonah, it's been a whale of a ride. Come on now. Come on now. (laughs) The the reconciliation and restoration process began after Jonah ran from God. And the work of the great sea is a tool in the hand of God to discipline Jonah. He went from a sailor ship to a sea creature's belly. And we see God's work being played out on Jonah's life. We see God's patience when Jonah flees from the presence of God as a prodigal prophet in chapter one. And in chapter two, the rebellious runaway prophet came to his right mind and repents and the god of the heavens and the earth and the sea redirects his past this morning my goal my objective is to look at four things of what confinement will do for us because we're going to find jonah in a confinement we're going to find jonah in a tight place this morning but being confined in small places can do big things And we're going to see that in the life of Jonah this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's start at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 through chapter 2. It says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because my afflictions. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me and your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Yes, I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul, the deep closed around me, weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down mooring of the mountains, the earth and its bars closed behind me forever. You have brought up my life from the pit. O oh, Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me I remembered the Lord and my prayers went up to you in your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving I'll pay what I have vowed. I will pay what I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven we thank you Lord for this morning. And I pray this morning as we look at your word, Father as we study your word, Father your word will be planted deep within our hearts. Father, no matter where we are in our relationship with you, you have not abandoned us. Father, no matter where our walk is with you, Father, you're growing us and you're renewing us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we enter into your presence, to the study of your word, I pray that it would speak to us. And as we talk about breaking chains, Lord, unlocking chains, as we sang about that this morning, as we prayed about that this morning, Father, you're the key to unlocking the chain. And so, Lord, I pray your hand upon our time this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen. amen. We're gonna look at four things. This is the first thing confinement will bring clarification. Confinement will bring clarification. Jonah 1:17 and Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Parents would know this and would practice this often, probably. When your kid is running amok, and he's rebelling, and he's running around the house, and he's not obeying, and he's not doing all he needs to do, and this is what I've done with my kids, is I'd often take them and put them on a timeout. I'd often sit them down and say, you know what, you need a little timeout moment. You need a little reflection. You need a little time to reconsider your actions. And I would often sit them down in a chair in a corner and just say, I'm putting you on a timeout. That's exactly what God the Lord is doing to Jonah. He's being, he's running a rebellion. He's running away from God. He's not listening to the words of God. He's not listening to the commands of God. He's not heard the instructions of his father. And guess what? God says, Jonah, you want to run amok? I'm going to put you on a timeout. I'm going to confine you to a timeout. I'm going to give you a time of reflection. I want you to get clarity here in your timeout to understand what's going on here. And so this time of sitting is a time of clarification. Come on. And we see here in the story that Jonah becomes confined to a small place. Look at verse, chapter one, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the valley of the fish three days and three nights, right? Who confined Jonah? The Lord confined Jonah. I want you to see that, because remember, the Lord is the hero of the story in the book of Jonah. The fish is not the focal point of this story. Uh, even Jonah's not the focal point of this story. The Lord is the hero. The Lord is the one we focus, and it's the Lord who can find Jonah this morning. What was Jonah doing? He was consistently going down, right? Consistently. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the lower parts of the boat. He went down to the valley of the fish. Now we find him in the deep waters, down in the deep waters. He's just going down when he, don't, when he doesn't obey. And we talked about that last couple weeks. See, the beginning of chapter one, the Lord prepared a storm for Jonah, and the end of chapter one, we find he prepares a great fish for Jonah. God's doing the great setup to turn Jonah's heart. Let me tell you some change doesn't come until we hit rock bottom. Now, change doesn't come until we hit rock bottom, and Jonah is going to experience rock bottom this morning. It's only when you reach rock bottom, when everything falls apart, and your hustle doesn't work, your relationships are gone, your resources are dried up, that you begin to learn how to be dependent upon God. In fact, you often heard it said this, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And the fact is that God is working on Jonah's life to get him to rock bottom. In fact, the Lord is Jonah's savior in the story, right? The word savior means preserver. The great fish was Jonah's life preserver, or should I say lifeboats. He's the rescuer. He's the liberator in the story. Let me ask you this. How many times has God cast out a life preserver in your life when you were drowning? How many times did you needed a lifeboat? in the times of your own desperation? How many times did he save you in the midst of your own rebellion? And in in God perfecting the fish and drawing this fish, what we find here in the story that Jonah was confined in a fish for a period of time, the scripture says. But the question is, what kind of fish was Jonah confined in. I think this is always the the struggle with the story with many people. I I don't know if I can believe the Jonah story and a man being swallowed up by a fish. That's a little far-fetched. That's a little fishy, don't you think? And this has been a challenge for, for some people with this book. But some, you know, when you look at the word here, fish can be translated whale or sea dog. In fact, in 1933, a sulfur button whale was captured off of Cape Cod, and the mouth alone was measured at 10 to 12 feet wide. He could have easily swallowed a horse the size of the fish. But that's 1933, just a say, well, Okay, that is, but we have a modern day story. In fact, in Cape Cod Times, dated June 22nd, 2021, just this year. A story was reported of Michael Peckard, a commercial fisherman who was a lobster trapper for a living, was swallowed up by a hunchback whale and lives. He shares about his story and how he was swept away under sea, how everything became black. He thought he was gonna die until the whale regurgitated him up and his friends rescued him and took him to the hospital. This just happened only a couple of months ago. you have to remember something about the story here. It is God who prepared the fish, this great fish, this miracle fish. It was God who created all the animals in the book of Genesis in the beginning, right? It it was the same God who created the talking donkey to Balaam to lead him to repentance. It's the same God that created the ravens to bring food to the, the prophets in the Old Testament. In fact, it's the same God who would later speak through Jesus said, even if you don't preach the gospel, I will let the rocks cry out. God will use his creation to do his bidding. Nothing's impossible with God. We cannot limit God and put God in a box. But we see Jonah confined in this, this small place. To get through to Jonah, the Lord needed to confine him for three days. And for the, the word confinement, it means to put into custody or captivity. It means to be on maybe even house arrest or shelter in place. We find Jonah incarcerated in a watery prison. But there can be a great work of the heart when confined to small places. But this story in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, that verse is a very specific verse. Remember I told you that Jonah was a type of Christ and there's some things referring to the New Testament. And the Old Testament always points to the New Testament. The Old Testament is a shadow to the New Testament. The Old, the, the, the Old Testament, a preview to the, to the main show. Three days and three nights in the battle of the world, Does that sound familiar? Jesus would later refer to this very story in Matthew, the 12th chapter, Verse 44, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It was this fish that God had made and created to swallow up Jonah. Why? Because that's God's grace and mercy on Jonah's life. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is God's grace on our life. To give us life. To give us life that is made whole. But in verse two, you see something very interesting. Jonah became a praying prophet after he was swallowed up by the great sea, sea creature here. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. I love this. When things are crazy and things are desperate, we kind of get personal with God, don't we? All of a sudden, we get intimate with God. All of a sudden, we're drawn to this relationship with God. We never see Jonah praying in chapter one, but in chapter two, we see Jonah seeking God's ear. But the question is this. When did Jonah start praying? He was in the valley for three days. When did, he, when did he start his little prayer meeting or his one-on-one prayer time with God? We know that he's willing to sacrifice himself and cast himself over, after, over into the sea after the sailors had identified who he was. He was willing to throw himself Overboard. But I don't know if Jonah necessarily started praying right then. Maybe he had to marinate in his mess a little bit. You know what? God will put us in confinement to deal with our heart because we are stubborn people. We're hard-headed people. And sometimes what he does is he'll put us in confined places. I'm going to let you sit here and put you on this time out and think about what you're doing. And sometimes in our own rebellious, in our own stubbornness, we fight God. So sometimes I wonder, did Jonah really start praying right away? Because I think Jonah knew that when he was cast over sea that he was going to die. We'll see that in a moment right here. But we know that when there's a time of need, when there's a time to pray, and I think Jonah began to pray in his time of need. Because Timothy said what Paul writing to him, he said, God desires the men pray everywhere, <laughs> and he was praying where no matter where he was, begin to start a prayer life right. But our difficulties this morning, our difficulties can ignite a loss and need a discipline. That discipline was prayer, right? Even desperate prayer. I know a prayer of a righteous man and a woman prevaileth much, but God still listens to the sinner. God still listens to the sinner, right? Though, though not desired by Jonah, God showed mercy. And by providing a quiet place to reflect on his actions, he wasn't consumed by the whale, but rescued from the roaring sea to provide a safe place for the moments. So, hey, he set up a confinement, a place for reflection, a place to look at himself. And sometimes God will put us in places to stop us and allow us to reflect about our life and think about our life. Situations will make us ponder about where we are with God and where we are with others. Do we really love God and do we really love others? God will do that in our lives. But here's the second thing: confinement will bring correction. Confinement bring correction. We see that in verses two through seven, right? Correction means to set straight or to put things right, right? To correct our ways. I remember in high school, um, I was athletic, so I played sports throughout growing up, and so I was had the opportunity and the privilege, for whatever reason, to start my freshman year on the varsity team. So I played varsity my freshman year. And I remember that the night before I was supposed to play my first game, I was pretty scared as a freshman playing on the varsity level at that time. And not being a believer, not being saved, not anything, I actually prayed to God. I said, God, help me tomorrow to do good. How many, how, I don't want to mess this thing up. I'm a freshman starting tomorrow as a defensive back, and I, wanted, I was asking God to help me. And guess what? The next day, I probably had the best game ever I have ever played. Now, I, I don't think God cared about that game. I don't think God, I think God cared less about that game. What God was doing was revealing himself through my prayer to say, "Peter, I'm real." and I hear your prayers, and if this is what's going to draw you to me, then I'm going to show myself, really, you in this circumstance and in this situation to change and correct the way you're going, that you would turn to me, and that was kind of the beginning of God speaking and revealing himself, to. You. though I didn't see it in my freshman year. I later saw it after I graduated from high school, but God was even beginning to pursue me, even when this urban Latino kid from East Island praying, that didn't pray much, and said, help me, God, and God still helped me, because the purpose was the correction the purpose was drawing us to him but his correction started with painful prayers that are heard look at verse two and three and look, and he said i cried out to the lord because of my affliction and he answered me out of, she, out of the valley of sheol i cried and you heard my voice You cast me into the deep, into the heart of seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your billows and your ways passed over me. He had pain-driven prayer. (laughs) You ever been hurting and just call out to God? I don't understand what's going on, but I'm gonna pray, right? He actually saw that, he actually believed, and he actually felt like he was in hell, right? He was having a, a hellish experience. He swallowed up, and he's in the belly of a whale, in the depths of hell, the word Sheol here is another word for hell or the grave. He thought he was gonna die. He was in a a dark pit. He was having a deathbed moment, a a deathbed experience here, Jonah was. The fish was Jonah's grave. it was the prison by which Jonah was condemned for his disobedience and the wrath of God was upon him. He felt that. He knew that God had divine justice. He deserved it because he ran away from the call of God. Hell is eternal separation from God. We don't like to talk about hell, but hell is he, It's eternal separation of God. You think you're not loved now? Hell is having no love at all. Hell is separated from God's love for all eternity. He actually believed that he was living in hell, that he was in the the grave. Let me tell you something. It's better to go through hell on this side of heaven to find hell and miss heaven. And he prayed because of his affliction. He said he cried out because of his affliction. That tells me that he was feeling it. That tells me that he was feeling his pain. and, uh, And you know what? He's feeling the pain of his own sin. He's feeling the sting of his own mess. Listen, a lot of times with our kids, they need to feel the sting of their sin. I know you all talk about kids. Let's talk about the adults. Adults need to feel the sting of their own mess. Adults need to feel the belt and the discipline of the Lord because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Listen, listen, I want you to hear that. You may not like discipline, but God disciplines those he loves. When my kids get crazy, I discipline them because I love them. I'm sorry for the uh, timeout family sometimes. We did spank in our house because we believed in the rod of correction. All right? I grew up, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the old days when you had to go get your own switch and give it to you from your dad and dad said, come, go get the switch, go get the belt. That's terrible. Dad, I gotta go get, go, get, go get my belt right now. Come on. Now, grab your ankles. What? Grab your ankles. You know what I'm saying? We got disciplined. Listen, discipline. my dad disciplined me because he loved me. Because he you knew the way that I was going was going to lead to death and destruction. God said, Look, I know you feel like you're in hell right now, Jonah, but I'm going to discipline you. I want you to feel a little bit of, of your wayward walk. God will do that in our lives, right? I know you feel the, the billows of the waves, and I know you feel everything's on top of you, and those billows are coming from me because it talks about that. My billows, he says, that's the waves, that's the, the stuff that he's feeling there. Because God owned the waves. But if you look at something, Jonah did not forsake his roots. What do I mean by that? He was a prophet, and he knew the word of God. And if you look at his prayer, he's quoting scripture. He's quoting the word. He's quoting the Psalms. So you know he had the word in him. I don't care if you grew up in the church or not, or maybe you grew up in the church and you went away from the church, but you remember the Bible stories In the children's church, when you grew up in Sunday school or children's church, you heard the word of God. That word is in you. You might have suppressed it, but it's still in you. And when we come and you come to church, all of a sudden, God's starting to water that seed in you. He's starting to water that thing in you to say, I got to renew this word that needs to be watered. You know, when it rains really heavy, what do you see? All of a sudden, you see the beautiful flowers on the side of the freeway that you haven't seen in years because the water went deep into the soil and found that dormant seed that just needed to be watered a little bit to bring it to life. Some of you have been dormant for a while and God will bring things in your life to water it to bring it back to life. He's quoting the experience of the Psalm of David when David was being pursued by Saul. And Saul wanted to kill David. He says, the pangs of death surround me. The floods of ungodliness have made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surround me. The snares of death confront me. My distress I call upon the Lord. And he cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ear. Psalm 18, four through six. He says, I identify with what David has gone through. David was feeling like he was in hell being pursued and death upon his doorstep. That's how I feel like David feel. Some of us can resonate about each other's experience a little bit. Jonah felt the same way David did. But I know this. Jonah was comforted by his faith. Even though he walked away, he still had his faith. Why do we know that? Because if you look at the prayer, he notices his prayer that he believed God would deliver him. He says, the Lord heard my voice and he will answer. He knows the God that he serves. He knows the character of God. He didn't lose his faith, but he still held on. Even though he's running away, he still held held on to that. How many people I know i have shared with people that go into church, well, yeah, I believe in God, right? There's still a little bit of faith. You give God that much, God will take it, and he'll work with it a little bit, right? You're still holding on to that little bit of faith. But let me tell you what pain does. Pain also motivates correction. Pain also motivates for correction. Look at seven. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple, The waters surround me, even to my soul. The deep clothes around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the morning of the mountains. The earth with its bars, closed behind me forever. You have brought me of the life of the pit, O Lord, my God. And when my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. Guys, if you have a Bible and you underline, you're taking notes, underline that, I remembered the Lord. And my prayers went up up to you in your holy temple. You see three things here just in this verse here. Verse four, you see the hope of restoration. Jonah's hope of restoration, you you see that here, verse four. He reflects on his position before his God. You cast me out of your sight. I wanted to run out of your presence, so you answered my prayer. You cast me out of your sight. We we, we read that in chapter one. But we see here, maybe Jonah felt that God was done with him. God's done with me, right? No goodness or mercy is going to be on my life. No, goodness, will shall fall on me. Jonah needed a miracle for his release. He needed that, right? He has been fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He is, he is separate from God. What did Jonah do? He stopped looking down, and he started looking up. He stopped looking down, and he started looking up. He said, I look to the temple. Interesting. I look to... The temple, the temple was the hope for the people. It's where God's presence dwelt, right? See, in chapter one, his eyes are on Tarshish, but in chapter two, his eyes are on the temple. I want you to see, there's a, there's a direction. His eyes were on the world, but now his eyes are on God. He, he, he began to make a transition in his eyes. Guys, you gotta make a transition with your eyes because wherever your eyes go, your head will follow. And wherever your head goes, your body will follow. And wherever our eyes goes, you begin to look toward that. And so we have to lead Tarshish to go to the temple, to the presence of God. And we see that in the this, in this story here. See, the temple is very interesting. When Jews prayed in the Old Testament, they would pray three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening, and they would face the temple, and they would pray three times a day. Read the book of Daniel. When they didn't when they want to pray, he opened up the windows and faced toward the temple to pray toward the temple because that's where the presence of God was. It also was where the Ark of the Covenant was for you Raiders of the Lost Ark fans. Don't know the Bible? I know you watch that movie, right? And the Raiders of the Lost Ark was the power of God's presence. we find the Ten Commandments were in there, the Aaron's Rod, all the little Old Testament historical facts are in there. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the, the mercy seat. It was the lid of the Ark with the angels on it where the presence of God dwelt. He called it the Shekinah Glory, where God's presence was. And the priest would come in once a year and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant, on the lid, right, for the atonement, for the forgiveness of sins of the people when Jonah was turning into the hope he only knew on was number one, the presence of God and the sacrifice of God to find his help. I'm turning toward these things. We will never understand, we'll never understand the power of the cross and the significance of the atonement until we come to understand our own sin nature and how bad it is. Sometimes we have to experience it in a painful way to understand it. I can teach you a lot about God's mercy and grace. I can give you all the theological head knowledge about that, but until you experience it, it's only theology in your head, but not practice of the heart. Come on, come on. See, see this morning we, we see here that he's, he has hope for restoration, but he also has hope for freedom. In verses 5 and 6, hope for freedom. He talks about his soul in, in verse 5, right? His his mental situation, his struggle, right? He's in a bad state. He's swallowed up in seaweed. He he's struggling in his mental health because I'm lost. I'm dealing, I'm going crazy inside my mind. The, I, I feel like the bars are are me and I, I can't get out. I'm incarcerated in these bars, he says. They're closed. He felt hopeless and helpless, incarcerated without the possibility of parole. That's what's going on in his mind. Jonah says, I was descending by my destruction and imprisoned by my own doing. He couldn't get free on his own. Let me tell you something. The enemy has incarcerated you, has bound you, and you do not have the strength to break free. Freedom is only found in Christ. I say, freedom is only bound when he's broken the power of death. Only God can pull us out of the miry pit. He says, I was in a pit. Only God can pull us out of the miry. Psalm 42 says, he also brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. I'm weary, I'm weak. And God is my strength. And it's only God who's my deliverer. But when you look at verse 7, Jonah has hope of answers, right? He says, when I was without strength, he says, when I, my soul fainted, he said. That's the word he uses. When I was out, I, I just didn't have the strength. I was losing hope. When you're at your wit's end, when you're at your bottom, when you're on your back and there's nowhere else to go, that's where Jonah was. Paul writes to the church in Rome in Romans 5:6 for when we were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly. When we have no more strength, no more power, nothing, that's when God will begin to work. When we give up. But here it is, Jonah. Here's where hope of answers. It says here what, but he remembered the Lord Guys, when you're in those dark places, you don't know what's next, you don't know what to do next. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. When you're tired without hope, but the Lord. If you look at his prayer closely, he's praying like it already happened. It's prayer like he's already free, right? My prayer has not his prayer hasn't fallen on deaf ears. Jonah, hope has been instilled in Jonah's life at this moment in his prayer. But here's the third thing about Jonah's prayer, his captivity. Confinement will bring confession. Confinement will bring confession. You see that in verses eight and nine. It's a story of a man who had his own storm. He got shipwrecked on an island, and in his desperation, he grabbed some whatever ship resources were and he grabbed that, landed on a deserted island, and he built himself a little hut, stored whatever he could in his hut. And when he went out to, uh, to go find some food, he came back and realized that his hut, for some reason, had caught on fire. And his hut and all his resources, all the things he, he had seemed to scavenger up, was all destroyed in the fire, and he was discouraged by what had happened. His hope was renewed when the captain of the ship appeared on shore and said, we saw your smoke signal. Everything that, everything the maroon man owned had been destroyed for him to be rescued. See, the process of experiencing salvation can be very similar. Confession and repentance feels like giving things that are precious to us, but the reality is all it will give us is being cast away, isolated, and spiritually bankrupt. We have to let all that stuff we seem to be holding on to let go. It's got to burn up for us to be free. Come on, come on. And right away, he begins to make this confession. And he begins to give a warning about what? A confession of idolatry, right? Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. In the midst of his own pain, he wants to give warning to those that might read this story or give warning to those who might need to hear. He's giving warning to others about worshiping other things than God. You know the story of Lazarus and the rich man, if you don't know that? It's Lazarus is a poor man who didn't have much. He's outside the gates of this rich man begging for help from this rich man. But this rich man would not even give a dime to help this man. This poor homeless guy that had sores on his body that was hurting Yet no compassion for the rich man, but the rich man dies and Lazarus dies. It's a story. Some believe it's a parable. I believe it's a true story because in every parable he never gives names, but he gives names in this story. So I believe it's a true story. One goes to Abraham's bosom, one goes to Sheol or Hades. One is in hell and one is in heaven. The, rich, the, the poor man was in the bosom or heaven and la, the rich man was in hell. And you feel the pain of it. Read it, the story. And the... Rich man says, Let me go back and tell my brothers. Let me warn them about what I'm experiencing. And the God says, Even if a dead man rises from the dead, they will still not believe. Even if Jesus, we know that Jesus resurrected and people still do not believe. I think what Jonah is saying is, in that moment, he's, I think he's talking to the sailors who worshipped a lot of idols and face God, fake gods who couldn't answer their prayers, and only the prayer of Jonah stopped their storm by being thrown over. But what idols have we put in the place of God? What things have we put in the place? I think that's the warning that we get in this story, is that we could have our own idols, right? And, and those idols, what they'll do is they'll forfeit God's grace and mercy when we begin to worship other things. We can't put our trust in man-made religion or even images. We can't pray to statues that have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear and a mouth that can't speak. Those who worship idols expect relief and comfort from them, but there is no comfort from a statue. We can even worship traditions. Our traditions we can even worship, but idols, religious traditions, religious practices, biblical practices, we can even make baptism an idol. Well, if I just get baptized, because that's what i was supposed to do. Baptism is about the repentance of the heart, not about just the action. Even Peter, even writing the scriptures, I could baptize you, you could still come up dirty. <laughs> it's not a shower. It's not a bath. We could worship our denominations. Well, I'm Catholic. I'm Lutheran. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Baptist. God didn't die for your denominational tie. We could, we, could, we could put ideologies, we could make people idols, we could make money idol, we could make a lot of things idol. Anything we put before God becomes our idol. Anything we worship becomes our idol. The world has a lot of idols today. We can be an idol to ourselves. We can worship ourselves. I'm gonna be the God of this world. I'm gonna do my own destiny. I'm gonna make this. We can make ourselves an idol. So Jonah is giving warning. He says, you can make all those, but you're gonna miss God's mercy and grace. But then he turns and he begins to give this shout of praise, a confession with a shout. Look at verse nine, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He has his own saving moment here. His his repentant moment, like the sailors who who made their own vows at the end of chapter one, who changed their own heart, made a vow to worship the God of Jonah. Jonah's making his own recommitment vows here, right? He's giving a shout of praise. His heart's beginning to turn with a heart of thanksgiving. Something's happening in Jonah. The renewal of God is happening in Jonah. His heart is slowly beginning to change. He's, He's having a thankful heart this crazy, in the midst of the most difficult time in his life, something supernatural has happened. God moved in Jonah's heart. Worship comes from the heart, and it comes out of our mouth, but it comes from the heart. And what does he shout? He shouts about his salvation. He shouts about his salvation, how God rescued him. His confinement came to some clarity about God, and I'm saved because of the Lord. That's his conclusion. Our salvation is from God. Jonah said, we were incarcerated by our own sin, but the Lord is our deliverer. We couldn't break free, but God saves us. That's what he's doing. He's beginning to worship now. He's beginning to worship in the belly of a whale. Guys, you want to be delivered? Worship in your belly. Worship in your confinement. Call upon the Lord in your confinement. That's what Peter and Silas. That's what uh, was it? Paul and Silas did in Philippi in Acts 16. In their confinement in jail, they worshipped the Lord, and God shook it and set them free. So God will do the same for you if we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. But lastly, confinement will bring redirection. Confinement will bring redirection. We see that in verse 10, right? During Abraham Lincoln's um, run for president, a young printer printed a story with the picture of a beardless Abe Lincoln, which almost made him go bankrupt. Almost financially broke, he created a game called the Checker Game of Life, a.k.a. what we know as Checkers today. The first year, he sold over 45,000 games. Today, the, the game of Checkers is played all around the world. The inventor's name is Milton Bradley. See, let me tell you something. Failure can either crush us or redirect us. Jonah was given an opportunity to redirect his life. Look at verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land, right? Repentance leads to redirection. When he called upon the Lord, he's repenting. We ask you, God, meet me. He's, he's, give me a change of heart, God. Jonah has, been, Jonah has been on a three-day Mediterranean cruise in the valley of a fish. It's amazing the length of which God is willing to go to bring Jonah to repentance. For three days, God left him alone in the dark with his thoughts, leaving him to wallow in the acid-rich valley of a great fish. Jonah had to feel forsaken and forgotten, trapped and completely immobilized. He thought he was going nowhere. However, when Jonah failed to realize was that the whale was moving. The Lord in his grace and mercy was taking Jonah exactly where he needed to go. In the middle of your pit, in the middle of your incarceration, in the middle of your confinement, God is still moving. God is still moving. Many of you might feel that way. You find yourself in tight places. You feel like your life is going nowhere, forsaken, forgotten, trapped by your situation, troubled in your relationships. Maybe you're here this morning and online because you tried everything else. Remember, the Lord spoke to the fish. The Lord commanded the fish. The fish obeyed the word, not like Jonah who disobeyed. (laughs) The fish was always moving while Jonah was praying. And the fish made a U-turn from Spain and headed back to Joppa or some Mediterranean beach. Jonah had been redirected to his call and he put him back on mission. Redirection will put us back on mission. The fish, by the direction of the Lord, had redirected Jonah's destination. When Jonah turned from his ways, when he repented, God was preparing a place for him. God has prepared a place for you. Some of you just call on the Lord this morning. He will hear and answer you, and he'll place you right where you need to be. Jonah has a spiritual Resurrection. Think about that. You talk about verse 17. That, As Jonah was in the valley of the wheel, so was the Son of Man in the valley for three days and three nights. Talk about the resurrection, right? He has a new life. He has a second chance at life. He has an Ebenezer moment. You mean, you remember Charles Dickens story, Scrooge? He, Ebenezer Scrooge. He has the Ebenezer moment. He might have had three days, three dreams that night. God had three days with Jonah but it did something in the heart of Jonah, and he, re- he redirected him for a purpose. Well, the whale had an urge to regurg, we see in the story here, right? What does that mean? Jonah got his discharge papers. <laughs> he got his discharge papers, right? The whale vomited Jonah onto dry land. He projected him like a cannon onto the land. I, I, you know, that's crazy to me, because he just vomited him up, Right? He was fishy-smelling, seaweed wrapped around his head, probably pain from all the whole whale stomach. He looked like a zombie. He was true walking dead. No no wonder when he went into Nineveh, they saw this freaky-looking, zombie-looking guy. They repented. (laughs) But God redirected his course to extend mercy to others as God has extended mercy to him, and God had placed him on a mercy mission. He returned back to his purpose to share God's love with others. And we're going to look at that next week is the power of the word. So as we close this morning, I'm going to ask you questions again, like I asked you last week, because I want you to meditate. I want you to think and and answer these questions when you can, if you're taking notes. Where is the place where you go to pray and get clarification? Where is the place that you go and pray to get clarification? We need that place. We need a war room. We need a quiet place. We need to confine ourselves for a moment to get clarification, to get away from all the noise, all the talk, all the chit-chatter, all the crazy counsel we get, Oprah, Dr. Phil, whatever you watch. Get clarity. Number two, what is one area God needs permission to work in your life? What is, one, what is the area that you're holding back on that you say, God, this is yours. I, I don't want to give it up, but I need to give it up. What is the area that you need to give up? You've got permission to work. That's scary. That's a scary thing. Three, what is the one thing you have put before God and have idolized? What is that idol in your life? What is that thing that you put more important than God? Is it sports? Is it football games? Is it the casinos? I don't want to go down the list. I'm not trying to be legalistic here. I'm just saying, what are some things that you put before God? Lastly, where is God directing you to serve that you avoided the call? Where is God calling you and he's gifted you to serve, but you avoided that call? You ran away from that call. I just, if you're taking notes, just write those notes down, and maybe today take a moment and answer those questions so God can begin to speak to you, Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and grace, Lord. I thank you for those that are here this morning that have come to hear your word. Father, I pray that they were encouraged by your word. That, Father, we have hope in the midst of our dark places that we can remember the Lord. We can look toward the temple. We can look toward his presence we could call upon his name and he'll hear us and answer us that we can go to him in prayer in our time of need and he will hear and answer us you promise in the book of hebrews and so i pray this morning your hand upon your people this morning father as they're here this morning i'm praying a blessing upon them as the worship team is coming forward that father you now lord would speak to your people as we partake of communion maybe they need to set a time for a moment before they take commit to, to think about a moment about where they're at with you that you draw men unto you. Father, we know that you're a God that pursues us. We didn't pursue you. Your word says we you loved us before we loved you. And so, Father, we thank you that you pursue us. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.